You're listening to This Life Explains It All. With the creators of Vera, your guide for navigating a conscious life. We're Stefania Romeo and Catherine Griffiths. This Life Explains It All was created out of belief that our life experience is our greatest teacher. And as soul sisters and intuitives, we've spent the past decade completely obsessed with better understanding our minds and our bodies, all while running a mile a minute with busy careers as leaders in the tech startup world. On this podcast, we are bringing you the insights and lessons that have changed our lives with the thought leaders, healers, and dreamers behind them. We're discussing wellness practices, healing methods, and experiences that get us to think differently about life and live empowered. Whether you want to uplevel your health, your career, your relationship, or are going through changes to your life path, this information can help you get there and let you know that we're right here with you. We believe life isn't meant to be lived linear, and no matter where you are right now, you're right on time. Hey guys, I'm Katherine Griffiths. And I'm Stefania Romeo, and you're listening to This Life Explains It All, Vera's podcast. So today we're bringing you a different type of conversation from what we normally do. Yeah, this week is a little bit of a departure from bringing you conversations with our favorite holistic health and wellness practitioners and the solo conversations that we've been bringing you lately. We're bringing you a conversation with Jen Wolosoff. She is a dear friend of ours who also happens to be a total boss when it comes to sales and business deals and making it happen. So recently we were talking about how sales principles kind of relate to the way that we speak to ourselves and how we communicate with other people about ourselves and what we want. And what we want doesn't necessarily mean we're trying to make a deal or a sale, but sometimes it just means getting to a place where we feel good about what we're asking for from a partner or a friend or even at work asking for a raise or to take on something new. And we felt like these principles were so universal and so helpful to get us communicating in our own power and authenticity that we wanted to bring you this conversation with Jen and talk to her about some of the things that really work and are game changers when it comes to making something happen and operating in our confidence and recognizing how powerful we are. Yeah. And I think it's so important because sales can, of course, be a career, but we're selling all the time. So it's really important for everyone to know what those principles are and how you can apply them to your life because you're selling yourself whether you're when you're asking for anything and there are such good skills to know so that's why we wanted to have her on the podcast and really pick her brain about how she applies some of her sales tactics to real life yeah when i when i was thinking about the framing of this episode i was thinking like this is really an episode about how to sell yourself but then i was like that sounds kind of weird to say like how to sell yourself but i feel like you hit it on the head with how you were talking about it where it's like every interaction every kind of exchange that you have there's an element of that and so if we're rooting all of this in our wellness and well-being like all the things we normally cover being able to communicate that feels really aligned to our own well-being. Mm-hmm. Do you agree? Yeah. Yeah. Because when you feel like you're, I think it just goes back to being, feeling like you're in your own power. And when you feel yeah. like you're in your own power, you feel good and you feel confident and you feel like you're just crushing it. And that's a, like learning some of these skills and tactics can really help you step into that a little bit more and know like it's okay to ask. If you don't ask, 
then the answer will always be no. So it's having that confidence to really push, but then also approaching it in the right way so you can get what you deserve and what you want. I think that like, and you'll hear this in the conversation, but I think that one of the biggest things that Jen really encourages me around and that she has helped me with is, it's kind of like this idea of like not taking no for an answer. Essentially, like if you're given a no, there are ways that you can identify to open up the conversation into a yes. And she talks about that actually. She talks about turning a no into a yes. And I think especially when we're younger and we're first starting to navigate life on our own and all of these things. Like I have a lot of memories of that where like I would, and I talk about one of them in the in the episode, but I have a lot of memories of that where like I would just be told something and I would be like, oh, okay, thank you. Thanks anyway. And like kind of have that small energy. Like you're just so happy for anything, any scrap, but really you're the one in power. And there are a lot of ways to turn a no into a yes and find those little ins into it. Yeah. And I think the more that you practice it and the more that you get yeses and you feel surprised, because I was definitely like that too. And when I started asking for things and getting yeses and people weren't like, oh my God, you're a bitch for asking. Like, you know, like they're just like, oh yeah, of course you can have that. It starts getting easier. And then I felt like, oh, okay, just ask. If you don't ask, then you don't get. I wonder if it's like, we have conditioning around that too as women, because I do feel like there's some like societal element of that too, where it's like, even if it's not blatant, because my my family wasn't blatantly like this, but I think that there's a lot of societal conditioning too, where it's like, be quiet, be small, be, I don't know, be happy with anything, like kind of just like, don't make too much noise. Mm -hmm. And I think that that is something that has had to be deconditioned for me. Yeah, definitely. And I think it's like a, it's like multi-generational thing. Well, cause you know what I think actually, now that I'm thinking about it, I feel like for a long time, and I feel like sometimes there's this belief that like, if you're going to be respectful, you have to be small and accepting of anything. But I actually think they're not the same. Like you can be incredibly respectful while also standing up for yourself and asking for what you want and making stuff happen. And I think that for me as a kid, that's where the two things got maybe confused or conflated where it's like, well, if you're going to be respectful, you just need to receive, be quiet, be small. Otherwise you're being rude or you're being disrespectful. But I think that there's a way to do both of those things. Yeah, absolutely. And you become more respected by others if you... stand up for what you want or what you're looking for. And doesn't, again, it doesn't have to be in a mean way or like viciously. It's just being, doing it respectfully. I think it goes a long way with the people in your life too. Do you know what, like, this is more of like a passive moment. And so in the conversation, we talk way more about making stuff happen, whether it's in conversation and making stuff happen with someone in your life that you want to happen or at work. But this is an example that actually came up when we're talking about like, I guess it's like receiving more than asking. On that note, I always felt like I didn't want to be a burden to anyone. Like I don't want people to feel like, like I want to be the one taking care of things. And like, I remember even when I was younger and this was like ingrained in me from my parents, like if I went out to eat, even with friends, like I had to 
pay. Like, don't let anyone pay for you. You pay for everyone. Like, that's the right thing to do. Like, you pay for everyone and don't let anyone pay for you. Unless it's like a guy, then he could pay. But like, Mm -hmm. they like ingrained that. I even remember Danielle. And Danielle and I kind of still are like this a little bit. Like, we have trouble like letting each other pay because that's how we were when we were growing up. It was like, no, like you're getting it. And like you, like me, like I want to get it. So (laughs) that was like a big thing where it almost like blocked my, not that specific example, but just that general thinking like blocked my ability to receive graciously sometimes. And obviously eating at restaurants was a big part of it happening. And I think I've told you this before, but a dinner with your dad was like a huge expander for me in that regard, because I would always get really nervous before going to dinner with people when I didn't know who was going to pay. I would get so nervous. Even when I went to dinner with people's parents, which like as a kid, like, of course, they're not going to make you pay. Like, they're going to pay. But I would get, like, so worked up and nervous about when the check came. And I would, like, try to take my wallet out. And, like, my friend's mom would be like, what are you doing? <laughs> like, it would just yeah, be so I get like that awkward. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I would just always feel so uncomfortable and awkward because I didn't want to be a job or a burden and I wanted to do the right thing. And I remember that one of our first dinners out in New York when we were starting to live, when we just moved to New York, we went out to dinner with your dad. And I didn't know him very well. I mean, like I had went to California once and and met him, but he took us out to dinner with some friends. Also, I didn't know. We were so excited because it was like a nice dinner and we weren't used to eating nice Yeah, Yerba Buena. (laughs) No, it wasn't Yerba Buena. It was someplace uptown near the MoMA. It was the very first time I ever went to dinner with your dad in New York. I remember it was like this restaurant that was white and it was me and you and him and then two other people. And I remembered that I was nervous about the check because it was like, I don't want to be like a hanger on. I have to pay. The check came and your dad got the check and the other guest at the dinner or the other two guests at the dinner were like, oh, thank you, Gary. Really appreciate it. And then like, it was like the most graceful like check thing. And I was like, oh, wait, that's how you can do it? You can just, if someone offers you something, you can just say thank you and accept it. It truly was a mind expansion for me because I stopped getting nervous when I went out to dinners and I wasn't sure who was going to pay. And, you know, obviously you assess the situation, but if you're in a situation where someone wants to treat you or someone wants to do something for you, I learned to say thank you and accept it. And then, you know, you reciprocate in your own way another time. But it like really reduced a lot of anxiety for me and helped me to be able to receive and not feel like getting something was wrong or a burden. Mm. Yeah. I'm like that too with the bill. I get real, even with my own dad sometimes, because I feel like, (laughs) and this is obviously conditioning that I have to get over, but I I feel like, I feel bad that he's paying for it. But like, I completely resonate with that because I am the same way. I feel a lot of anxiety around when the bill comes, what to do, who's going to be paying. And I've gotten a lot better with it, but it's still like that little, like, I always feel like I have to offer regardless of who it is just to be polite, even though I know, well, my dad's going to be picking this up or somebody else will, whoever. Yeah. It's interesting because it's kind of like like the other side of the asking for something. You also have to be able to receive without mm-hmm. feeling like you're doing something wrong or you're getting away with something by receiving. Yeah. All right. We've been talking for a while. So shall we get into the episode? 
Yes, let's do it. So we'll get into the episode with Jen. She has a similar background to us in tech. She was one of the first employees at BuzzFeed. That's where we met her. And now she is a leader in sales at Spotify. She's incredibly seasoned. She's an incredibly amazing salesperson. I've learned so much from her. She's sold some of the biggest deals at Spotify. So you can imagine what that looks like. Yeah, she's incredible. She's also involved in a number of nonprofits and a big supporter of women in that type of work that she does as well. I mean, she's just such a big supporter of women. Yeah. That's another reason why we wanted to have her on the podcast. Yes. Let's get into this conversation. All right. So this is definitely a different kind of conversation than we normally have because I feel like, you know, normally we host health and wellness practitioners. You hear from Catherine and I on coaching stuff, but a conversation that we, Jen, have been having recently prompted us to really want to bring you on the podcast and learn from you in all things sales and persuasion. I have learned so much from her in terms of how to open up conversations. And essentially everything we're doing is selling and pitching and persuading in everything that we do in life. And so you have really helped me, Jen, to learn how to take conversations that feel closed or shut down, or if you get a no, and open them up to possibilities and what can be. So as much as I I talked about us talking about wellness, I think that having this skill is part of our wellness because you can use it if you are actually selling something in your job, if you're selling a service, if you're an entrepreneur, if you are selling yourself as a getting a promotion to or, or raise to your boss or just selling your idea to someone in your life or getting your partner to do something that you want them to do. So there are just so many applications and I'm so excited for this conversation. Thank you. I am so excited to be here. Uh, we talk all the time in our personal lives, but it's really fun to be on the podcast, the Bureau podcast <laughs> that I listen to all the time. Yes, you do. <laughs> and exactly to your point, everything that we do is persuasion, negotiation. It's how to get what you want in a strategic way. And I am fortunate enough to do it for a living and to get paid for it. And I love what I do. As Stefania mentioned, I am a sales director at Spotify, and I started my career as the 20th employee at BuzzFeed. And through those years, over a decade, I have learned so much about the way people operate, the way people work, how we think, and how we can work together to really get what we both want on both sides of the spectrum. And that is what negotiation is about, understanding what you want, Stefania, right? Mm-hmm, yeah. And then what I want and how do we bridge those extremes to come to the center so we both feel like we got a great deal and we're excited to move the process forward. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So did you always know that you were a salesperson? Because I remember we've talked about this before, even in the early days of BuzzFeed, where I always knew like you have to be in sales. Like you're just so good. Did you always know how was that process like for you when you were like, you know what, I am going to actually go into this full time? Oh, Kat, we talked about it so much back in the day. I 
really did not want to go into sales. Like you mentioned, so many people had told me early on, you would be excellent at sales. This is meant for you. Go into it now. And at Mm -hmm. the time I was an account manager, which has some soft sales tips. However, there are stark differences between account management and sales. One of the things that I've learned was in account management, one of those things is that you're always, you're told to answer questions. That is your job. You want to be accurate. You want to be right. And you want to answer those questions in sales. It's the opposite. And you have to rewire your brain and retrain it to, instead of answer questions, ask questions, because it's all about the conversation, understanding your client, your partner, your manager's needs. And then how do you level up in a way to solve for that? So really, I didn't want to be in sales initially. However, when so many people had told me, I said, you know what? I can either try this thing called sales, hate it, and know that it is not for me, or I can try it and potentially have it be the best decision of my life. 10 years later, here we are. I can say it was the best decision of my life. And I'm Mm. so happy I get to do it every day because what I was afraid of in the original sales idea was that I had to be something I was not. We think of the car salesman back in the day, that sleazy kind of salesman. (laughs) And I am so not that person. I want to be my genuine self. I want to be You know, I want to have personality in a meeting and show people that I care. And what I've learned is when you believe something and you can articulate that belief and that value, people believe what you believe and it becomes just greater than it ever could. So ultimately, I'm thrilled that I made the decision, but no. um, And I think that, you know, people pivot in life. That's the reality. And so here Mm -hmm. I am as a result. Yeah. Okay. So we're going to talk about lots of things related to sales and persuasion and how to do it, the psychology behind some of this stuff. But I want to get started with what initially sparked my interest and intrigue, which was, which were these kind of seven, I think maybe there, there are a little bit more, but seven plus tips and strategies at the baseline that can be applicable to any kind of persuading or selling. Can you take us through what those were? Do you remember those? Yes. Okay. So yes, this is going to be applied in anything, whether you're asking for a raise, you want a promotion at work, you want a new job, you want a new title, you are trying to win that sale or that pitch, anything. So the first one is doing your research and we like to call it homework. So doing your homework and turning in that homework. So what do I mean is If I am meeting with a client, which I do all day long, I want to understand what it is that they are doing in the space right now. So I can be the most educated going into the meeting, right? So I see that you're doing this on Instagram. I just saw that recent article that was posted about your CMO. I come in knowing a few interesting tidbits so that it opens up the conversation and it's about them. The biggest thing in sales, and this is flips it on its head because so many people start meetings with themselves and their ideas and their company. And that is the opposite way of thinking because you, again, want them to be bought in. You want to lead them to the water. And if you can understand their priorities and their needs, And you can then better solve for it just by listening. 
Yeah. And I feel like there are ways to do that in non-work-related conversations or personal conversations where maybe you're being a little bit softer and maybe, you know, it feels creepy if you're like, you know, (laughs) researching them before. But there are ways to do that too. Like just bringing up something that you know about them or asking about something from the last time or or something that you saw. I feel like that's something that I've been implementing even personal scenarios where it's like, let's start with you. And I think it's, it kind of creates this playing field that feels very collaborative and I don't know, compassionate a little bit. I think you bring each other on this level, right? So Mm -hmm. you're meeting them at the same point. So it doesn't feel like I'm coming in very hot headed. I want your money and here's how it is. No, no, no. I'm going to start with you because you're the most important person in this conversation in this collaboration in this negotiation yeah yeah and even in like personal situations like friendships and relationships asking really specific questions about them I love when like I have friends that do that with me like very specific questions and I love that like because it's like you're paying attention you understand you're listening you understand what I'm focused on so I try to do that a lot with even personal relationships too, because it goes a long way. So not just general questions like, you know, how are you doing? Or, you know, what's the weather like over there? But like, oh, you were at Mm -hmm. that event yesterday. How was it? You know, very specific questions. Yeah, exactly. Specificity is king. And that leads me to the next point, actually, which when you are doing this research and that homework, you want to ask them, you know, here's what I've seen. Here's what seems to be important. Am I missing anything or did I hit the mark? Mm -hmm. And that also, that's that specificity that is going to create the conversation that you need in order to, again, understand their priorities and needs. Mm -hmm. It's all about a value exchange at Mm -hmm. the end of the day. Yeah. And that, this is something we talked about a little bit yesterday, is very aligned to something that I do in coaching when someone is looking to get a raise or promotion. That is so key to align on. Here's what good looks like. Here's what I understand good looks like. Are we aligned there? Here's what, you know, getting to this place looks like. And opening up for collaboration, I think is is interesting. Yeah, everybody has a different means of success. And knowing that upfront of what do you believe that this campaign or this meeting or this interaction, what do you want it to be? How do you want it to feel? What do you want it to look like? And how do you want it to perform? And having all that information up front is what will set up the conversation. Yeah. One of the things that this reminds me of is, so I recently went through the Daniel Pink Masterclass on uh, sales and persuasion. And something that I thought was really interesting, that's a in line with what we're talking about is that he talks about there was a research study done on a large sample set of Hollywood pitch meetings. And researchers followed the people pitching shows and programming to studio heads and different funders and all of these things. And then they analyzed the data on what led to a yes and what led to a no. Overwhelmingly, what the data showed was that What led to a yes more than anything in those pitch meetings was when the person pitching invited the other side in as a collaborator. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. That is key because we don't know everything. Being humble. And that's really what the first point of here's my homework. It's being humble. It's saying, 
I know your business because I've done some research, but I don't know everything. So help me understand so I can help you to the best that I can. Yeah. And so absolutely, that collaboration is what makes a good meeting. One of the other points on here, and we can kind of jump around, but one of the other points is, oh my gosh, and Kat, I feel like we we would do this at times, the lunch and learns. Mm-hmm. So I want to get into some of the cognitive behavioral psychology things that are applicable to this conversation. One of the things that's really interesting is salespeople get this rep for talking a lot, right? Mm-hmm. And it's annoying and nobody wants to hear them. But I think anyone who is trying to, I'm doing in quotes, sell someone else on their idea or get buy-in from someone, even if it's not in a sales scenario, I think everyone then picks up a tendency to do that. Where mm-hmm. it's like, I need to just project and talk and tell my case. So what's really interesting, and I know, Stefania, we had talked about this, is that when you are in a meeting, the person who speaks the most thinks that the meeting went the best. Yeah. And it's, this is a psycho, like a psychological hack in that it works so well because if you keep asking the questions, the other person will speak mm-hmm. and they will think they will walk away. There was a Harvard Business Review that states this, that they will walk away thinking that the meeting went well solely because their voice was heard. Mm. People love talking about themselves. Yes. And hearing themselves speak. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a rule of thumb. If you're doing the talking more so, I mean, you probably think the meeting went well, but you might not get the feedback that you need to know if they thought the meeting went well. And don't be afraid to even ask that question. Was this helpful? Is this informative? Are you interested in moving this proposal forward? Again, the more that they speak, the more they think the meeting Mm. went well, and that only bodes in your favor. Yeah. The next one is an interesting one. The power of silence. Mm. I want to fill the silence so bad. Exactly. (laughs) So in a meeting, in any type of meeting or any type of interaction, when you provide this silence and Chris Voss, another masterclass, he is a hostage investigator and expert negotiator. Excellent master. Oh, did you watch that one? I did. Okay, that has to be next. He talks about this silence as the effective pause. And what it does is if you stop, say nothing, that awkward silence will be filled by the other person. Mm-hmm. Period. End of statement. It works every time. Mm-hmm. So when you are closing in a meeting, talking about sales, but it could be any type of close, it could be asking for the raise, it could be wanting that promotion, you ask the question and you stop speaking. We get in the habit, or some folks get in the habit of wanting to talk around the question so much, validate the question, how it provides all this value for the <laughs> billions of dollars that I'm asking, but no, you already did that. So ask your question and then let the silence speak for itself because it will. Yeah, I do that in coaching as well. And that's something that I learned. And it is so hard because I want to give them the answers. And I want to say, well, based on my experience, this is what I did. But when I'm silent, the answer that they come back with is 
so different than anything I would have ever said because I let them come up with it and they came up with it themselves. So it's so powerful, but it's so hard for the person. I feel like it takes a lot of practice. It was very uncomfortable for me at first and it still is a little bit. I'm completely with you. It doesn't necessarily get easier, but it Mm. is a tactic that has proven itself through. Yeah. Mm I don't want to go too off tangent, but there was a, another Chris Voss thing that I thought was really interesting where he talked about, and this wasn't something we you know, had prepped or planned for, but would love your thoughts on how he talks about mirroring in the context of mirroring someone else's language, yes. the words that they use, as well as even, I know Tony Robbins even talks about this, even mirroring like their breathing style and, and all of this. So what do you think about mirroring? How do you use it? Do you buy into it? Totally buy into it. It's pre-COVID. This strategy was fantastic. You could see body language. You could understand even just the room you're in. Are we in a boardroom making it a bit more formal? Are we in an office where it's just one-on-one having a conversation? Are we in a coffee shop? Where are you situated? And then understanding you know, people are going through things all throughout their day. Mm -hmm. So even if you're coming into this meeting, somebody could be rushing to this meeting via traffic. They've got road rage on their mind. It's not even about you at the end of the day. So they're huffing and puffing. You want to mirror some of that energy because they're all frazzled up and you could be there right there with them, but they're going to come down and you come down with them. And Mm -hmm. the more that you feed off of each other, again, it's that trust. And it's that leveling to one another. That's how you do it by the mirroring. If you're sitting back, I might sit back. Mm. If you're very formal, I might be very formal. Because people also like to see themselves and other people. Mm. And so that is part of this mirroring. Mm -hmm. It's another way of making you feel seen just by your body language. Exactly. Seen, heard, and really safe. Mm -hmm. People go into meetings or these, you know, job conversations. We're anxious. We have anxiety. We want it to go really well. So the Mm -hmm. more you can be on their level and understand where they're coming from and mirror their actions, their tone of voice, their energy, Mm -hmm. the more that we can become one Mm -hmm. instead of becoming, you know, being on those opposite sides. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I I think this is all under the umbrella of, what are the things you can do to open up when there is a, like I talked about this at the beginning, but what are the things you can do to open someone up when the situation or they are really shut down or closed? And mm-hmm. it's always like looking for, or in the body language, how do you open up the situation? How do you open up this conversation where there's flow and there's engagement? Mm-hmm. And it's not just kind of two sides that are kind of friction. Friction. Yeah. You know, I am just a believer of being genuine and authentic. And if I can see that somebody maybe doesn't really want to be there, I have no problem asking and saying, you know, I'm sensing that, you know, maybe there's something on your mind. You took this meeting. I want to make it the most impactful for you. What were you looking to get out of today? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love some of the things that you have talked about. And I think in some ways you and I have some similarities in in this, but the examples you've shared with me of not taking no for an answer and of kind of being forward and going out there and kind of making the situation happen for you in a way that feels natural. But I think that so many of us, 
can tend to close down and shut down and say, oh, I got to know like, oh, okay, well, thank you so much for your time. Like, let me come back to you with something else. Or, I mean, there's that energy. And Catherine and I were actually laughing about this because when we were younger, we we used to laugh because we used to do this with, with our apartment. Do you remember this, Catherine? In our apartment in Avenue A in New York, like many years ago, something was always wrong and something was always broken. Something was always like really bad, like holes in the walls that mice were coming through and no hot water and you know, no heat, like crazy things. <laughs> and then they would like send a repair person to the apartment and we would feel bad because they were so nice, but they wouldn't fix anything. And we'd be like, oh my God, thank you so much for coming. Like, <laughs> really yeah. appreciate it. <laughs> or the garbage is outside. Like, yeah. they would never it move. Was like, you're paying all this money to live in New York and it's just, yeah. nothing's going right. But it was like, it was this energy of like any kind of, crumb that you got, you were just like, oh my God, thank you. Cause you like felt grateful for at least getting that. And I think that for a lot of people that can then translate into bigger things in life. I mean, we've talked about it in a past podcast with dating and settling for crumbs, but also in work where we get a no and we just say, okay, like, thank you for your time or in some way, or we say like, okay, well, like, let me redo that and come back to you. Or like, like, oh no, like I I better fix this because it was wrong. And now I have to show them something better. Like, no, that's actually not the answer. Open up the conversation, open up to create a dialogue. It creates a completely different dynamic. It puts you in your power and it can completely change the trajectory. Yeah. The biggest way to go from a no to a yes is detach yourself from the outcome. Mm. Because when you do that, you keep going, you keep moving and you keep moving forward. You said, no, no problem. I'm going to go over here and I'm going to keep, you know, I'm going to get a yes from somebody else over here. You keep moving forward. There are so many people that just get down in that no, and they take it personally. And and if no, it's business, right? Or Mm -hmm. sometimes it can be personal. Sure. No, I I was just going to say like, I like, (laughs) I like when you've talked about injecting humor in it before too. Can you talk about the client that wasn't responding to you and what you did? (laughs) So I submitted a proposal and it was a multi-million dollar proposal. And I had a lot of heart for this proposal. You know, I I wasn't attached to the outcome if it, you know, if it happened or not, but I believed in this proposal for the client and for the opportunity. And so I followed up and I got a response and then I followed up and I followed up and I followed up (laughs) and nobody was on the other end. And there were so many people on this thread. And I started one-offing these people asking, you know, hey, I'm not hearing back. What's going on? No response. Until I wrote an email that said, are you ghosting me (laughs) with a wink face? And I basically took the principles of dating and applied it to the sales. And I used some humor. And sure enough, I got a response back. Because sometimes, yes, just injecting that humor, injecting your personality and making it, you know, again, less transactional and just bringing it down to the core. If, if you're not prepared for whatever reason to do this deal with me, I don't have any hard feelings. I just want to know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's where that came from. And so I do not have a problem saying, hey, listen, if this is a no-go, I'm totally cool to move forward. I just need to know that we're not moving forward with this. So I don't keep nagging you. How has that perseverance 
filtered into your personal life too, like with relationships and friends, like has that helped you release the outcome from certain situations, whether it's dating or what have you? Yeah. Well, they say that sales and dating are almost synonymous. You know, you're looking for that closed one. You're looking for that date. You're looking for that, you know, relationship to turn maybe into marriage. You're looking for that closure. And these tips honestly would work across in dating as well. But yeah, in dating, you know what? If somebody says no to you, you know, and they might reject you in that way, take it as a blessing, you know, and use your self-worth to level up in a way to say, you know what? He isn't right for me. You know, maybe I idealize this or maybe I really wanted it. But at the end of the day, if he isn't choosing me and our values are not aligned at this onset, keep going. Mm. Keep going because you never know who's around the corner and you never know what deal is around the corner either. And so it's that perseverance, that determination to keep going. It's funny. John Steinberg, who we all know because we used to work with him at BuzzFeed. He was the president of BuzzFeed at the time when we were there. He would say, you could be upset for 15 minutes. (laughs) with any no, and then you pick it back up and you keep going. And that always stuck with me because I love that, to give yourself the time to sure be upset, to sure take it in, right? But we have to keep moving. We can't, the show must go on. So Mm -hmm. I love that and I take that with me in everything that I do. And again, it's really that detachment of the outcome in all things, whether it's dating, or whether it's a sale or whether it's even a job, right? You could be asking for something and they might say, you know what? We can't do that. And you can then, you're in the driver's seat. I think people forget that. We play the victim card a bit, but you are in the driver's seat and that you can then either go to a different job. You can ask for something else at this company. There are so many ways to go around that no to make it turn into a yes. It might not be the original yes, that you were thinking of, but it's a yes down the line and it's a compromise to get there. So much of what we're talking about is making me think of kind of the other side of you're in the driver's seat is also that, or or part of that is that we're also not responsible for other people's actions, emotions, or mind reading. So I think that something that I see a lot is when people will say, well, I don't want to follow up with them again because like I already followed up with them or like, I don't want to ask them for this because like I already asked them for something, but it's like, that's not your responsibility. It's their responsibility to say whether or not they are going to do something. It's their responsibility to set a boundary or not, or to communicate what they're comfortable with or not. We are not responsible for the actions of others. And so I think that there's a lot lost when we get into that headspace of, well, I don't want to bother them or I don't want to do that because it's up to them to tell us that. Right, right. Don't step in your own way to get the outcome that you desire. Now, we don't know what they're thinking on the other side, right? We don't know, but we know what we believe in and the value that we're presenting. And so it is that consistency and persistence that will get you in answer. Yeah. And that is really what you're looking for. And again, you know, 
No is just information. No is just telling you that this of what you, one specific thing that you provided is not going to work for me. Maybe something else will, right? You could want a relationship and you could want a serious relationship. And the other person on the other side is like, I kind of just want a fun thing. You know, Mm -hmm. he's not saying, he's saying no to the thing you want, but he's saying yes to something else. So (laughs) just give an example. So, you know, and then it's up to you to see if that compromise, if that plan B is kind of worth your while. Mm -hmm. And it's the same thing in sales. When they tell you no, there is a yes somewhere. It just might not be the the yes that you originally put for. Yeah. I want to share one other interesting finding from the research that I've seen on this. What I thought was interesting, especially if you're thinking about this information that's being shared in the context of your own career, mm-hmm. one of the things is that people like helping other people and people want to help other people. So there's a couple of interesting pieces of research on this. One is there was a study or kind of test done in a hospital to get, I think, the nursing staff or some of the healthcare staff to be more compliant with hand washing. And so they tested three different signs to see which one drove hand washing at the highest level. The first sign had to do with data. It said something like, I mean, I'm paraphrasing, it said something like washing your hands kills X percent of whatever bacteria or deadly virus or or whatever, something with data. The next said, washing your hands prevents you from getting sick. And then the next said, washing your hands prevents you from getting other people sick. So what do you guys think was the one that drove the highest rate of hand washing? I want to ask Catherine because Janet, I already told. The one that got other people sick, they would be more likely to wash their hands. Yes, but it was all about what made people wash their hands more. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The fact that you would get other people sick would make people want to wash their hands more. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. So that actually surprised me because I I actually thought it was going to be the data answer. And I don't actually remember exactly what it said. But and when Jen, I thought it was going to be the data answer. Jen had thought thought it it was individual like you won't get sick. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I think it's not necessarily like... um, of, you know, of course it would be, that would be right. the answer. But yeah, it shows that people are motivated and they're motivated by the kind of, I don't know, power or responsibility that comes with helping another person. And mm-hmm. so the other example with that was actually from a study that the relationship expert Mark Groves talks about. And he talks about how in dating or in meeting a potential interest, ask them to do one little thing for you and it will increase the level of bond and their level of how much they like you. So if you're a woman and you meet a guy at a bar one day when we can go out to bars and you ask him to like hold your, I mean, to hold your drink, but like hold your bag or, you know, bring you whatever it is. Just can you watch my jacket on this chair? That's a good example. Or whoever feels the responsibility to watch over your things, which connects this the these two people together, right? Exactly. Mm-hmm. So if you're in a situation with someone, so I, I think this is particularly applicable in work settings when you really want to create that great relationship with your boss or maybe even get a mentor to employ this idea and strategy that people want to help other people and maybe ask them for something, ask them for a little favor, ask them for a little contact, something, it will increase the level of them liking you and having affinity toward you, which I think is so interesting. Well, I think people 
at yeah. our core want to feel needed and want to feel, mm-hmm. you know, respected and want to feel looked up to. And so when you're asking a question like that, you get excited because you're like, oh my God, this person thinks so highly of me, or they think I'm responsible, right? For watching the jacket at the bar (laughs) or, Mm -hmm. you know, you're putting trust in somebody by asking this question. So I think that develops as the inner self that we, you know, what that we need. Yeah. And giving to others is like the number one way to increase your happiness or one of the ways to increase your happiness. And like, for me, I love giving gifts, like that act of giving gifts versus buying something for myself. Like, of course that's exciting, but if I can give someone something and they're happy and they're like, oh my gosh, I've been wanting this, or this means so much to me or say something that goes so much farther than doing something for myself. So I think that's, you know, that's why that like people just want to feel needed. So any way that we can help that too. Hey Kat, my birthday's in May if you want to get me a gift. Yeah. (laughs) So the last thing I want to talk about is this idea with money, with career of ceilings. Because I mean, I've seen a lot on, from a psychological standpoint, from a subconscious belief and self-worth standpoint, we tend to have these ceilings. So we tend to have money ceilings that we need to break through. A lot of successful entrepreneurs who are incredibly successful and known talk about this, how they had like a ceiling that they, you know, for so long couldn't get past their first, you know, however many thousands or millions of dollars. And then like something switched and then they, you know, they opened up the floodgates. So I think that that's really interesting too. And I think that in sales and when you're in a sales role, like you are, Jen, it's maybe easier to track that because it's so much a part of what you're tracking in the role and compensated on all of these things. So I wonder, have you had moments of breaking through a ceiling and having that experience? Yes. I'm actually trying to think of it. I mean, I think if you work hard and you are doing all that you can and you're finding opportunity. I mean, if money is the goal, is that what we're talking about here? Like yeah, money, 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 money. Yeah. I mean, cash. I think the biggest thing, cash money, <laughs> I think the yes. biggest thing is, is standing up for yourself and asking for what you believe you deserve. Again, likely companies will come back and say, I can't offer you that, but here's this right? Because you want to come to the table to be that respectful figure to say, this is, I've done all these things for you. And now I'm asking for you to do this for me. And how do we come into the middle so that I feel appreciated, valued, respected, and vice versa. And don't be afraid to speak up. I I think, you know, and a lot of the tips that we talked about today, I think can be applicative in that conversation, when you're asking for, if it's a raise or maybe it's a new job and you just want a higher base salary or you want a different commission structure, thinking outside of the box is what makes you successful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I like what you said about realistic goals too, because I think that it's absolutely so important to have a goal and they have to be realistic. Otherwise you're not going to do anything. Like I've been there before where like, oh, we just want to be as big as possible or make as much money as possible. And you end up not taking those steps that are needed to get there. So really thinking about what is actually realistic for whatever it is, whether it's a deal or whether it's a point that you want to get to in your business. Yeah. And the goal is to feel good. Like Mm -hmm. Gabby Bernstein talks about this all the time. I love her. And 
her premise is simple and it's all, what can we do today so we can feel good in this moment? Mm-hmm. What, what is it that will end up making us feel good so that we can bring on that happiness? Mm-hmm. I was doing a workout the other day and the, and the instructor said, how bad do you want to feel good? Mm. And I loved that because oh, I love that. that motivation will keep you going. Yeah, I love that. That reminds me of my Bikram yoga practice, also back in New York with the most amazing teacher, Trisha Donegan. She still teaches at Fierce Grace on the Lower East Side, if you're there. But she used to say in every class, do you want to suffer for 90 minutes in here or do you want to suffer for 90 years out there? Mm. So in that way, it was about building resilience so that everything else is easier. Mm-hmm. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. She also used to say, you know, there's the traditional saying is, if you can, you must. But she would flip it on its head and she would say, if you must, then you can. Mm-hmm. And I love that. Mm-hmm. I love that too. That's good. So Jen, there is a question, a final question that we ask all of our guests, because as you know, the podcast is called This Life Explains It All. And that question is, what life experience has been your greatest teacher? So a lot of the tips that I shared with you today stemmed from Doug Weaver, who is a renowned sales leader in the industry. And his practices are simple it's a bit of that rewiring your brain. And so, you know, I have now heard him speak multiple times and each and every time you forget that you, you don't do your homework or you didn't prepare for that meeting. And why didn't it turn out the way you wanted? It was because you didn't follow these rules or you had that bigger meeting, but you needed that smaller meeting. And so his practices are just, they're simple, but you need to reinstill them. And so going back to a podcast like this, you know, every six months or a year, So you keep those, these tips in your brain to activate on them has been incredibly powerful and and helped me to be successful. The second thing I think with the life experience is most recently I moved to California where Stefania and I are right now. And that experience, it really has nothing to do with sales, but the experience of choosing love over fear and choosing self over doubt. And I, you know, have always wanted to live in California. I didn't make the move for a variety of reasons. And when I had this chance to do and go and see and soar, I took it. And I'm so grateful that I did the, you know, it, we're, later on in life, it's hard to make friends. And, you know, we're making so many friends here in LA and new experiences at work and new work coworkers that I'm getting to meet had I not moved here and new experiences even at work. And so taking that leap of faith for yourself and for your own growth personally and professionally, I would say go and do it because now is the time. And uh, you'll look back, I think, and as I have just be so fond of Mm. the moments. Yes. You never regret what you didn't do. Oh my God, Catherine, I literally was just about to say that. (laughs) Yes. It's so good. I love that. Thank you, Jen, for being here. This was so great. I had a blast. Thank you for having me. And keep on crushing, ladies. I'll be here by your side through and through. Thanks, Jen. This was so great.
If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review or share it with a friend and hit subscribe so you never miss a show.